Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. I'm Edwin Davis and joining me this week through the miracle of satellite technology, it's Emily Benita. Hi Emily. Oh, hello. And joining us in his first appearance of the new year, it's Matt Risby. Hi Matt, how's it going? Ah, yeah, I'm good. You guys got the jump on me last week, um, mm-hmm. but I'm back around to go in 2019. My... Uh, resolve hasn't yet been broken um, <laughs> after 13 days of this year. I'm just kind of anxiously waiting for something awful to happen in the world. Mm. Oh, it'll come. If 2018 taught us anything, it's you can just hang on and something bad will happen. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So on that cheery note, did you have a nice uh, did you have a nice new year? Yeah, it was all right. I'm the older I get, the more I like to just take it easy. And mm. um yes, I had uh, kind of relatively low key evening at the uh, Sheffield's board game cafe um, where it got a little bit raucous uh, around uh, some highly contested games um, and uh, I saw in the new year whilst doing the thing I do every new year which is realizing I do not know the words to old lang syne um, mm. so I just kind of go along with it and do the hand reverse handy thing and bounce up and down and grin but um, I don't know the words and I'm never going to learn them because it's stupid mm. that's how I used to do morning prayers in my C of E schools that I went to. I just never really, this was largely because I didn't realise I needed glasses and it took like a year or two for them to realise that I couldn't read the board because I was just blind. So mm. all I did was I kind of was like, hello be his name and all that sort of stuff. So it's like kind of getting half the words. And then at one point I literally just mimed and hoped that no one would figure out I wasn't making any noise, but someone told on me. Mm, so. You like the Millie, the Millie Vanilli of hymns, right? <laughs> always miming. This is exactly my technique for, uh, I don't know if either of you have had the pleasure of attending a Scottish wedding, but there is, uh, without fail, a during the dancing portion of the evening, um, there will be a celebration to Loch Lomond by Ronry. Uh, I don't, I don't, I remember the first time it happened, I panicked because I didn't know the words and uh, pretty mm-hmm. much all of my... Scottish born and bred pals were like, no one does. You just know. <laughs> you just shout the bit at the end where Loch Lomond comes in and there's this kind of hokey cokey dance move. And really just it's the enthusiasm that gets you through it. Like that, mm. you know, being verbose is overrated. I know we're on a heavily like audio heavy medium, but sometimes I wonder if I just kind of blab sounds and then say something about feminism, whether anyone would really notice. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, Scottish weddings uh, are amazing. <laughs> it's what I mean to. It's what I mean by that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it is a brand new year, and what we decided we were going to do uh, to kind of begin this episode before we get into the meat of previewing what's coming out over the rest of the year is do some New Year's resolutions. Matt and I did some of those last year as well, and uh, I don't know how yours went, Matt, but mine I kind of did sort of okay on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think mine were to watch at least one movie a week in movie theatres, which I think I fell short on. But part of the reason for that was uh, I started strongly and then I went to see uh, Annihilation and I walked out into the aftermath of some sort of drug deal that had gone wrong, uh, where the police were everywhere and apparently like someone had fired off some shots. At which point I kind of was like, 
maybe the outside world is not a place to be <laughs> for a little bit. And so it, it took me a few months to go back to that movie theatre. I've got, uh, I got, we... got two things to add to that, Ed. Sure. One, you, you put your life in danger by going to see a film that was available on Netflix. <laughs> not over here, and... <laughs> was it not? No, it, it went oh. to theatres here, and it's still not on Netflix over here. It's on Hulu over here for some reason. Oh, is it? I take that uh, back. But secondly, that's the lame excuse for not, <laughs> like, yeah, I went to a theatre and there was a drug deal gone wrong outside. Of course, mm-hmm. I can't go back again. So you fell short, yeah, because um, the dog ate your homework essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one I had was to watch an equal number of movies directed by men and women, and I think it was ended up being closer to. A third, which I think is still probably better than most people manage in terms of ratios, but wasn't quite what I wanted. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend I'm not disappointed in you, Ed. <laughs> um, but I set myself a goal of watching 52 films directed by women, and I fucking nailed it. Mm-hmm. Although, I watched about 21 <laughs> of those films in December. So you could say that I was distracted for most of the year, quite lazy, played Red Dead for like a month and didn't actually watch any films directed by men or women. So equal opportunities offender there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually crept over the line by watching Bird Box at 2 a.m. on New Year's Eve, as in, <laughs> as in 2 a.m. the morning of the 31st, mm. um, because I uh, had to get that in. But um, I discovered some gr- fucking great films um, on that little romp and... Picking that as a challenge last year and, and um, actually completing it, unlike some people, um, has inspired us all to take on um, a 52 film challenge this year, hasn't it? Mm, yes, it has. Mine, uh, which I started today, uh, is to watch 52 movies from India because as I was trying to think of possible areas of cinema that I have not really a great knowledge of. I was kind of thinking about different national cinemas and I realised that basically all I know, all I've seen of Indian cinema are a couple of films by Satyajit Ray and the Bollywood movie Three Idiots from a few years ago, which is a great fun movie that I would recommend to anyone. But that's basically it. And otherwise, all I know about it are movies made by Westerners set in India or, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of like stereotypes about Indian cinema that you see in comedies and things like that. So... My aim this year is to watch 52 movies by, made by uh, Indian filmmakers in India. And I started with the movie Lagan, Once Upon a Time in India, which is uh, a great epic movie about a cricket match, which mm. uh, is something that I, I greatly enjoyed. I'm really glad that I watched. And I, I think hopefully Org as well for the things I'm going to discover over the next 12 months. Mm. What are you going for, Emily? Well, before I explain, dear, dear Matt, what uh, I've picked <laughs> for myself for this year, just as pictures go, an epic film about cricket, not really in my bag, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> there's a, there's also a lot of stuff about imperialism in there. Basically, Ooh, tasty. It's, a, it's, a, it's set in 1893 and it's about a small Indian village that is about to be heavily taxed, but uh, in Lagan wheat, which is uh, the only thing that they produce, but they haven't had any rain. So if they give all of their wheat to the authorities they'll basically starve. So the kind of cruel, arrogant British captain makes a bet with them that if the villagers can beat his team in a game of cricket, then they won't have to pay tax for three years. And so the first half of the movie is about them learning the rules and putting together a team. And then the second half of the movie is pretty much just the match. And it's really good and really tense and genuinely one of the best sports movies I've ever seen. And also four hours long. Mm. (laughs) So uh, it's quite a commitment, but it's a really, really fun, entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. It's not even the length of half a day of five of a day of cricket. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's genuinely the yeah. most British 
evil thing I've ever heard. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on from my immense colonial guilt, if that's ever possible. <laughs> my resolution this year is to watch 52 films from the 70s. Now, I'm going to aim mm. for a first watch the whole way through. The only other um, constriction I'm putting on myself is um, that it has to be uh, made and released between 1970 and 1979. I will do all kinds. I'm, I'm hoping to have a really big sweep of different uh, countries of production because I think the thing that I generally feel about the 70s and one of the reasons I really love it as a decade is that, of course, it's still upheld as this, like, you know, the golden age of cinema and you've got a lot of kind of auteurs coming out of um, America, but I think it'd be amazing because it's such a tumultuous and, and kind of, I often think of it as the come down decade of, of history. You know, we've had mm. the 60s and now the 70s. We've all woken up next to each other the <laughs> morning after. <laughs> what what have we done? So I'd be interested to see whether that same kind of like grayscale of morality and nuance that was happening kind of definitely in films kind of coming out of uh, the West will happen across the world. And a lot of films that I've always meant to see but haven't. For example, I'm going to start with Mean Streets because I'm still very behind with my old Marty Scorsese. Um, and also mm. the cinematography should look absolutely beautiful. I'm hoping throughout so uh yeah yeah my my 52 films and i'm also quite jealous of emily having to um because that i mean that's my favorite decade of movies and like having to see a lot of those for the first time would be awesome all in kind of quick succession would be lovely but for mine my knowledge of cinema before 1970 is shit um so i've decided to focus on watching um, for they're all got to be first time watches for me. Uh, I'm going to try and watch uh, a ton of um, Hollywood's golden age, so kind of 30s, 40s, 50s, um, mm. the kind of studio system Hollywood um, that I just haven't seen because looking kind of through my letterbox to my film diary, I have probably my films pre 1960 are in the dozens, which is very poor form. So I started last week um, and have been kind of digging around to kind of watch kind of a lot of uh, early Westerns and mm. uh, kind of epics. I watched uh, Stagecoach, which I'd never seen before. And I watched The Thief of Baghdad, which mm. is great if you ignore the fact that everyone's browned the fuck up. Ugh. Yeah. It's um, also proving to be quite difficult knowing that so much of streaming is weighted towards more modern films so finding older films is super super difficult uh, on streaming services so like things like tcm and my hero i've got my kind of tivo box set up for, to tape lots of things that are on a 2 a.m but these things shouldn't be inaccessible um, yeah. this is our kind of film history and we should be able to just grab it so i think that's probably my biggest challenge actually getting hold of the films mm, i think one of the uh, an undervalued resource for older movies is YouTube, just because a lot of them yeah. have fallen out of copyright and people mm. just upload them. The quality, uh, as a result, tends to be pretty bad, but uh, it is that you can kind of like search around on YouTube and find lots of older movies if you're kind of stuck to try and find stuff. I think one that was on there a couple of years ago that I watched is there's a movie called The Old Dark House, which is mm -hmm. a universal horror movie with Boris Karloff, but that's a really cool movie, which is probably still up uh, yeah. and, and well worth checking if you uh, are looking for recommendations. I think the thing is for me is there's so many genres that I just don't know that came from this. So mm -hmm. like I've got all the, all the, the classic 
uh, kind of archaeo musicals. I've got all the Arthur Freed musicals. I've got yeah. the, all the gangster movies, the universal horror movies. I've got all the classic westerns. There's a whole ton of stuff that, like, obviously when you do film studies or anything related, you kind of touch upon them and you you pretend you've seen them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm actually going to have to, like, put my money where my mouth is and watch it. And, yeah, like I say, the few films I've watched so far have been awesome. And I'm really looking forward to digging around in the golden age. Because I hear the films from them were quite good. Mm. Yeah, fairly. They're okay. But that's enough of cinema's past, which I think is probably what we're all going to be digging into in our respective resolutions. Let's look ahead. Let's look at the future to the movies that are coming out in 2019. This is our preview episode where we look ahead at the stuff coming out between now and the end of August of this year. And then in September, we'll reconvene and do kind of a preview of all of the Oscar stuff that's coming out. We're not going to talk about everything because we'd be here for seven hours. We're, we're all going to kind of talk. We've all picked movies coming out in each month that we think sound interesting and we're going to kind of talk about those and hopefully shine a light on those for 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 our listeners uh and and for each other maybe as well like if there are any that have leapt out to us and maybe haven't been on each other's uh radar i think we should start with uh you emily what's your january movie my january film is a little drum roll glass Mm. New from uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Now, I didn't watch Split, and I remember watching Unbreakable years ago and really enjoying it, and then, oh yeah, sorry, <laughs> massive spoilers. So then, not not watching Split, but finding out, like, ho, 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 the twist at the end is that we didn't realise it's actually a lead-in to um, what seems to be a trilogy between Unbreakable, Split, and now Glass. And mm. um, I find... <sighs> Am I, shall I just call him M? Do you think he would mind? Yeah. The thing I find about M is that I have not liked pretty much any of his films for for a long time. But the thing about Glass is that looking at that trailer, it just, just the cinematography, it's just going to be such an experience. Mm. And I think there's a little bit of a dash of like Legion, uh, possibly in that kind of style, like we are looking more and more towards some really, um, I think for exactly uh, the reasons of your resolution last year, Ed, I think, I think there's something about what can we drawing people into a cinema? How do we do that? How do we lure them away from Netflix? And I do think that we um, are getting more of that spectacle as you and I talked um, at length sometime last year. Um, mm. But I think the the colors look amazing. Everything's just popping. So I think just as a, a film to watch in that sense, just as a, a feast for your eyes. I also just quite enjoy uh, the idea of James McAvoy just really going for it. Um, mm. And then you've got old, uh, old Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know. It, it's actually only the pretty much the only sort of air, air quotes uh, superhero film I'm interested in. I don't know. I, I mean, maybe it is going to be a big steaming pile, but it could also be quite pretty. I don't know, it's just it's just grabbed my attention more than a lot of other stuff, and particularly a lot of what M has done previously. Let's not forget he uh, made Paul Giamatti fall in love with uh, a, a woman in a pool called Story, uh, which I'll never, <laughs> I'll, I'll never forgive him for. But, you know, he could entertain me for a couple of hours. We'll see. Yeah, I really, really liked Split. It is, uh, as the kids say, problematic <laughs> in, in, the, in, in, the, in its treatment of mental illness. But... I thought that James McAvoy was uh, pretty incredible in it. He he does go for it, playing all of these different characters and really being given the opportunity to do some incredibly strange stuff. And I think 
what I really quite quite like about this current run of movies that M has made over the last couple of years is he does really seem to have embraced the low budget aesthetic. You know, like the the visit and uh, split were both made for very very small amounts of money compared to the budgets he was commanding. You know, for for things like the village or uh, the last Airbender, and it really does feel as if that has revitalized him as a visual storyteller. It's made him perhaps be a little smarter in his visual choices and in terms of the framing. And he's just such a wonderful, he's got such a wonderful eye and telling these slightly less reputable stories seems to really work for him. I think he, I'm not necessarily sure that he's a good enough writer to really carry off some of the stuff that he tries, but, and this feels like a very ambitious and strange thing that he's trying to do, having having retroactively created a trilogy in the way that he has. But uh, I, I do find it really fascinating seeing how his career has gone over the last couple of years. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see if he manages to pull it off with Blast, because I also really liked Unbreakable and I'm... Mm intrigued to see what he what revisiting those characters now in what feels like a very different genre really and tone to what he did in in 2000 looks like mm. i'm less thrilled about the concept of <laughs> glass um <laughs> mainly because i feel like m night Shyamalan is someone who can make two-thirds of a great film um, and then one third of an awful film that no one would ever want to see. I remember watching The Village and thinking, this is so, so atmospheric and so good. And I know he's going to ruin it with a silly twist. And then throughout the film, I, well, once during the film, I thought, oh, I wonder if the twist is this. And then mm. kind of said, no, that's too stupid. And then it turned out to be that. Um, <laughs> and the whole kind of super eerie, terrifying, to, like hour and a half that was uh, like kind of previous to the uh, revelation kind of ruined it. And I've, I've kind of never forgiven him for that. And mm-hmm. Unbreakable is a film which nails the kind of tone and um, the atmosphere of that kind of uh, superhero thing perfectly. But then the last five minutes just kind of, it's a bit of a train crash, if I'm honest, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah. Uh, What's your uh, January movie, Matt? My January movie is, I'm anticipating it for reasons probably not to do with how exciting it sounds. It's a movie called Serenity, which is not, Mm. regrettably, um, a remake of the uh, the Firefly movie, which I saw before watching Firefly, which is the wrong way around to do it. But it is a um, a sexy neo-noir, I've been told, um, starring Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey reuniting them after their jaunt around space in interstellar mm-hmm. um, that was those two wasn't it yes yeah, right. yeah um it's directed by stephen knight who did lock that film with tom hardy where he's like oh, driving yeah. a car around you know that one mm. um yeah. so you know it could be interesting but what i'm finding interesting it sounds good by the way it's like uh um matthew mcconaughey is a uh deep sea fisherman whose ex-wife turns up and says, my new husband is threatening me and I need you to sort it out. So it has that kind of great film noir setup. But why I'm interested in is it was supposed to come out three months ago and it got bumped for unknown reasons, which means it could be terrible. Terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, But the guy, Stephen Knight, he knows what he's doing. He wrote uh, Eastern Promises. He wrote Mm. uh, Dirty Pretty Things. Yep. Co-created Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Did he? Yep, yeah. <laughs> that's that. That's that's his his. Uh, that's where all his money's from. <laughs> he co-created it. 
Wow, I did yeah. not know that. I think he does uh, Peaky Blinders. Is that him as well? Yep, yep, yeah. So he knows what he's doing. Um, and yeah, like if this is a good thing, I can kind of just hedge my bets here because if it's great, then I'll be like, oh, well, I was an early adopter. But if it's mm-hmm. bad, I was like, I told you. <laughs> I did warn you. It's not quite uh, Pascal's he... wager, but Risby's wager. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Uh, he also did a movie several years ago called Hummingbird. I think it, Hummingbird with Jason Statham, which was like a neon soaked neo noir set in London, which I quite enjoyed. As far as mm. movies starring Jason Statham go, it made pretty good use of him. His kind of like taciturn, refune qualities. Hmm. I think you're overselling Jason Statham's appeal. <laughs> he's very taciturn, I think, except when he's facing a giant shark. But who would be? Mm, you can't be taciturn in that situation my pick for january is a movie called the kid who would be king which is the second movie directed by joe cornish who previously obviously directed attack the block and you know made the adam and joe show so he's a very talented very funny guy the trailers for this have been playing before every vaguely family aimed movie that i've seen over the last couple of months and it looks incredibly fun. It's got some good jokes in it. The effects look okay for a mid-budget kind of fantasy movie. And I just really like the... I, I It just kind of like reminds me of stuff that I would watch and read as a kid. You know, kind of things of like urban fantasy sort of things. You know, incredible magical things suddenly bursting through into contemporary life. In this instance, a kid discovering Excalibur and finding out that he is destined to fight against Morgana, played by, what's the name from the Mission Impossible movies? Rebecca Ferguson. Rebecca Ferguson, yep. And it just looks like a terrific fun. And also the guy, the, the young lad they've got playing the kind of kid version of Merlin. Like Mer- the other conceit is that Merlin is played by Patrick Stewart, but in order to blend in, he's kind of like taking the form of a fairly gawky teenager. <laughs> Looks like he's having a lot of fun with embodying uh, Patrick Stewart. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that it's going to turn into, to be similar to Attack the Block, where you have a premise which could be kind of fairly generic, but ends up being kind of livened up by Joe Cornish's particular sense of humour. Mm. It's uh, Andy Serkis's son is playing the lead, isn't he? Is that mm. why you got that right? That's right, yes. Oh. Nepotism. Nepotism. <laughs> mm. Jinx. <laughs> uh, but he seems but he seems good from the trailers. So yeah. So uh, yeah, it just it just looks just looks like a load of fun and and you never know how many members of the cast are going to become huge global megastars as two of the cast of Attack the Block ended up going on to. Mm, absolutely uh, Emily what's your February movie my February movie is probably uh, the one I'm excited the most about in our uh, in the upcoming year in this section of our preview it is the horribly named Velvet Buzzsaw mm, which is yeah. the upcoming film from Dan Gilroy now I only saw the trailer for this I feel like it was a couple of days ago that I excitedly shared it with you Ed yeah I was a huge fan of Nightcrawler. Um, I didn't see Roman um, J. Ezrael Esquire. Um, I would like to. I just think it's such a good trailer. It feels mm. like something where I get such a brilliant sense of what the film is about, but I still have no idea what's actually going to go go down or or what's going to happen. Like I, I just feel really 
excited and entranced by it and it's uh dan gilroy's bringing back the kind of nightcrawler um magic between uh, jake gyllenhaal and renee russo who's also his uh, his good lady wife in uh, in real mm-hmm. life and i absolutely loved the chemistry between jake gyllenhaal and renee russo in nightcrawler i feel very hopeful i mean i've been disappointed as we all know as i go on about at length many a time but the trailer looks great and i think it is exactly the kind of piss take of the art world that we have been waiting for for a while because i was just thinking about films like again another uh Hall vehicle uh nocturnal animals which is mm. one of the most misogynistic <laughs> and boring uh films of, of the past few years um yeah. and the square which i think again sort of meandered a bit and uh seemed a little bit too was wasn't exactly the kind of um razor sharp look and um deconstruction of a sort of male artistic prowess i think it just kind of sort of almost added to it um whereas the thing about velvet bobsaw that i think it just looks totally nuts and it seems like it's got it shot through with this kind of camp like there's real blood uh it it looks genuinely horrifying in terms of how it kind of escalates Mm. and there seems to be a lot of kind of strange supernatural stuff a lot of kind of critique of greed which is hilarious because it's going to be released by netflix with a limited theatrical (laughs) run (laughs) so i think it's going to be interesting to see whether uh yeah there's any uh comparisons to be drawn (laughs) between the the producers and and the film itself i don't know it just it has such an amazing cast john malkovich is doing lots of serious faces this beautiful zoe ashton who i think is brilliant tony collette also just seems to be having the time of her life with uh, amazing roles like obviously hereditary last year and wanderlust it just looks like she is having a real just a just a whale of a time and I, if Tony's happy, I'm happy. So yeah, it, it looks like the, the the thriller satire about the art world that I didn't realise that I needed, but now I desperately want, even if the title is one of the worst I've ever heard ever. <laughs> Does sound like a niche sex, sex toy, uh, the old velvet buzzsaw or some kind of weird Victorian sex position. Um, yeah, which I can't shake. And I watched the, I've seen the trailer, but I watched it with no sound. So can you imagine what I think of it? <laughs> yeah, you just kind of like, oh, look, it's Lafayette. He looks like he's having a nice time. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's bowl cut in the, uh, you know, it's, it looks out there. I'm into it. I did like Nightcrawler, so, mm. um, yeah, I'm super into it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I really liked both Nightcrawler and Roman J. Israel, and I really like how, obviously, just going off of the trailer for velvet buzz buzzsaw it does kind of look like dan gilroy is taking the license given to him by nightcrawler to just make stuff that's really offbeat and sprawling and uh i appreciate that because he could easily have just gone okay nightcrawler worked let's just make kind of tight genre movie after tight genre movie until i die uh, instead, he seems to be taking some big swings, uh, and I'm, I'm quite excited to see if uh, if this one hits. Matt, what's your February movie? I am going to pick the film What Men Want, which mm. is the gender swap of the film What Women Want, um, mm-hmm. starring famous 
intersectional feminist Mel Gibson. Um, and this time round, we're getting um, the role, the lead role played by Taraji P. Henson, who mm. I like in everything. Um, yeah. And uh, she, if you're not familiar with the concept, can hear everything that is going through men's minds. Now, I do not think this will be a particularly good film, uh, despite the fact that the cast includes Erica Badu. So, you know, wow. I'm down to clown with that. Uh, and Shaquille O'Neal. So not many films will star those two. But um, I feel like it's a real opportunity to um, smash the patriarchy, um, <laughs> had it not been uh, written and directed by a man. Although I suppose they would know what men want better than anyone. Um, but I feel like this could be really savage. Um, mm. But I dare say it won't be. But in my head, just the idea, and on paper, it looks like the comedy that 2019 needs in the light of all the awfulness that's been happening uh, in the last few years and forever, obviously, but it's just coming to light now that, you know, we really need it to uh, stand tall and be the uh, the uh, the clarion call that we need. But I imagine it will just be a lame comedy. Mm. I think the problem for me is that as soon as Tracy Morgan is involved, I just think it's a fake 30 Rock film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I struggle a little... Yeah, I mean, I'm still waiting for Sherlock Homey um, because, you know, I that's, would love to see that. That's the comedy legit. 2019 needs. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, who that ninja was snubbed <laughs> for best comedy at the Golden Globes. So uh, I, I think he's never really gotten his due. My movie for February is a movie that was kind of mired in a little bit of controversy a few months ago. It's Isn't It Romantic? Starring Rebel Wilson. The controversy was over the fact that she said that, you know, it was the first movie to ever feature a kind of a larger... Uh, the first uh, romantic comedy to feature a kind of larger woman as the star. And lots of people said, that, that's not at all true. And uh, she since kind of, like, said, OK, I misspoke, which is, you know, whatever. But uh, I saw the trailer for this the other week, and it looks very, very funny. The concept of it is that she plays a woman who wakes up one day to discover that she is in a romantic comedy. So it's kind of this meta comedy about someone from the real world who kind of wakes up and suddenly discovers that she is at the whims of the kind of the traditional tropes of the romantic comedy genre, but also the editing uh, and kind of visual style of it as well. There's a very funny recurring joke towards the uh, end of the trailer where she, having gone out on a date with Liam Hemsworth, wakes up in his apartment and he kind of like walks in and she just basically says, now, did we actually have sex? Because the last thing I remember is us kissing and then suddenly I was here. And then every time, then she keeps trying to have sex with him and every single time it just cuts back to the start of the scene and she gets increasingly frustrated that they can't actually have sex, they can just skip over it in the way the romantic comedies do. And that is kind of a very smart, funny idea to me. It's directed by a guy called Todd Strauss-Schulson, who directed a very sharp and funny horror comedy called The Final Girls a couple of years ago, which had Mm. basically the same premise, but was about horror movies. And uh, I'm just really excited to see something like that done with the romantic comedy, because that's a, a genre that is just as kind of codified in its tropes and its ideas and its character types as horror is but it doesn't often get the same kind of attention in this way and i'm uh, i think there's potential for it to be really really cool i Mm. agree with you ed i think it's potential i think i I don't i I wish i weren't so cynical that's a resolution i need but part of me (laughs) just feels like i i'm not 
entirely I feel I feel actually more um apprehensive about this than I do what men want because I think the romantic comedy genre, you know it is so codified it's huge and yet where's the potential for it to be really savage I don't get that from this at all and to be honest mm. I'd rather just re-watch They Came Together with yeah. um, America's Sweethearts Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler because I think that manages to really skewer a very particular type of rom-com and, and genuinely is a little bit radical in places mm. you can say that again <laughs> I worry that yeah I just I just worry that this is going to be toothless uh Emily what's your movie for March there was only one option for me and when I realized what was coming out in March because it just um has blown everything else out of the water uh apart from of course Velvet Buzzsaw by a mile but it's another it's another horror film is Us uh which is Mm. the eagerly um anticipated second film from the mind of twisted genius jordan peele i found the trailer again that's that's an amazing trailer i wonder Mm. whether by um august when we're wrapping up having sort of hopefully seen all of these films whether i'll just be like well the films were terrible but my god the trailers were great (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and i think it's a fantastic cast the premise seems to be again kind of a development on themes that seem to be in get out it it just looks incredible i think that it would be interesting to see what peel's done with a slightly different budget and with these different actors but again it just seems to be like he is going full hilt social commentary horror and i cannot wait to see how he has grown from get out which i i felt was uh, to be to be not not purposefully obtuse but just um difficult um i i didn't i thought get out was really interesting and very important but i don't think it was by any way um a great film i thought it was a really striking and important debut but i think maybe if it had a producer with a bit more (laughs) care rather than our friend mr mr jason blum i don't know so i'm interested to see how things have moved on with us i think it looks to be already it seems like he's jumped leaps and bounds so yeah just looking forward to seeing and you know and you know it's that lovely thing when there's a filmmaker who is exciting and even if their first film you're not like it isn't um as fully formed or realized as you'd like it to be it's still exciting when you see a director and um you i was talking about this with my friend the other day and it's like oh that's your thing when you start seeing more Mm. and more films it's like oh here here are your tropes these are the things you're interested in that's going to be like your that's your hang so yeah us Mm. cool I noticed that Jordan Peele seems to be doing... He seems to have his finger in a lot of pies. Mm. Like, he is... uh, He's doing a film for Netflix. He's doing a film for Amazon. He's doing a film for YouTube. He's doing, like, a TV series for someone else. He's like, he really is, you know, playing everyone off against each other. It's making me feel bad with how productive and talented he is. (laughs) Yeah, he seems to be uh, stepping into the the shoes of Guillermo del Toro, of just having every single project in development at the same time. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does with this one. Uh, like, like, uh, like you said, Emily, I'm not necessarily wowed so far by the, the premise or like that it does seem as if there's, there's things about the ideas of the movie that, um, that, you know, on what little we've seen so far feel familiar, but visually it looks really really incredible i love what he's doing with the paper doll motif which recurs a few times in the trailer 
and it's a trailer that plays very very well in a theatre I found like Mm. I watched it for the first time on a computer screen and I was like oh this is really cool and then I saw it before I think before Beale Street could talk the other week and when you're kind of trapped with it on a big screen in a sound system it's a really atmospheric and unnerving experience so uh, I'm I'm looking forward to be utterly terrified by that in March hopefully Uh, Matt what's your March movie? Um, I'm going to pick a film that I've been waiting for for a long time, which is the adaptation of the Patrick Ness book, um, The Knife of Never Letting Go, oh, which is going to be called uh, Chaos Walking, which is the name of the entire trilogy, but we're going to get that as the name of the first movie. Um, it's a bit less of a mouthful, and yeah, it might sell it a little more. I'm a big fan of Mr. Ness and his books, having read them all. And yes, this one was the first one I read. And the idea of it is that uh, it's on a world, uh, set in a world where it's like a sci-fi type premise, where um, there's no women. Imagine that. And men can hear each other's thoughts all the time. And it's called the noise. And, you know, I can imagine that is a nightmarish scenario if you're just surrounded by dudes and you can hear what they're thinking all the time. But um, uh, eventually, uh, the young hero of our story, Todd, um, discovers a lone um, girl out in the woods. And they go on somewhat of an adventure, having uh, realised he's been lied to the entire time. And the film adaptation has pedigree. It's directed by Doug Lyman, uh, who directed Swingers uh, all those years ago, but then also goes on to do like, like big Hollywood movies, like what do you do, Edge of Tomorrow or Live Die Repeat, as I was called, yep. or uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Is that his? Yep. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, like so he knows what he's doing. Um, but there's, the cast is Tom Holland, uh, Daisy Ridley, Mads Mikkelsen, uh, David Oyelowo, uh, Cynthia Erivo. Am I saying her name right? Yep. Um, so the cast is pretty decent. I feel like it's weird that it's scheduled to come out on March the 1st and there's no trailer for it. Um, mm. But I love the book. It's very. It would translate excellently to film because... The book does a really cool thing. Whenever there is a, a section of the book with the noise, all these men's thoughts, it's actually written in handwriting in the margins of the book all the way around. So every time you turn a page and you see all these scribbles everywhere. And I always felt like that was really cool, but that would translate very well into a film, like a medium where you can use sound. So we'll have to see. Uh, if you're a dog lover, brace yourself for heartbreak uh, for this film. If they keep one of the key oh. moments from the uh, the book in. But yeah, Mads Mikkelsen plays the baddie, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm not even looking at the cast list, but I'm pretty sure he'll play the baddie. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a great baddie. And yes, I am very much looking forward to this. And uh, Tom Holland is someone who, every time I kind of see him appear and do something, uh, he seems to endear himself to me. So yeah, chaos walking. I have to say, Matt, there's a little bit of a theme that's rising <laughs> through your choices. Men's mm-hmm. thoughts everywhere all the time. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's because I've watched 52 films by women last year. I've had enough of it, Emily. Jeez, they just keep <laughs> on going, those women, don't they? But what do the men really want? Tell us, boys. Um, <laughs> the Yes, I, I found The Knife of Never Letting Go such an incredible and brutal read that I realise I haven't actually finished the Chaos Walking <laughs> trilogy, um, particularly mm. for dog lovers, um, as you mentioned that yes mm. the thing that just strikes me is like there's like you say there's very little about it just now like trailers wise or anything there's like a couple of onset photos daisy ridley mm-hmm. looks about eight which i think is like actually fantastically impressive given the age of the characters mm-hmm. so i'm really it's really amazing to see her just sort of morph like that which is uh, really cool patrick ness was tweeting quite a bit about it he mm-hmm. was gorgeously 
excited about being on set of a film being adapted, which I think was just really was actually really lovely to see. I, he's one of my favourite authors. He's absolutely great value on Twitter. And it's lovely to just see someone completely unashamedly be like, this was all in my head. And now they're like real people. Oh my God. Mm. So yeah, I think it could be not even just the sort of the Hunger Games that we, the, the next Hunger Games, but the Hunger Games that we need now. Again, I mean, joking about what 2019 needs, but honestly, I think um, it couldn't be a, I hesitate to say better time, but <laughs> quite vital time for uh, these adaptations to hit our screens. Mm. Yeah, I'm. I haven't read the book, but I am a big fan of Doug Lyman, who I think is just kind of a, a weirdo as far as like big blockbuster directors go. He's someone who always seems to be running over budget and kind of really killing himself to try and make the movies as good as possible. And by and large, he seems to. He seems to pull it through. So I'm really excited to see what he can do with this. And certainly based on the premise, it sounds like something that could be really, really exciting. He he also directed a movie about nine years ago called Fair Game, which was like a spy thriller with Naomi Watson, Sean Penn. And I just was reminded of that recently because Netflix just added like uh, added it. And it's like the 2018 director's cut. And I was like, wow, the thing we were all waiting for, <laughs> the 2018 director's cut of Fair Game. It's like mm. that, the other side of the wind, Netflix, they're delivering it. All of the unseen stuff people were waiting for. My March movie is going to be the latest by Harmony Korine, uh, the first film he's put out in seven years since Spring Breakers. It's called The Beach Bum. It stars Matthew McConaughey as a guy called Moondog. And it also features a supporting role for Jimmy Buffett. And that's pretty much all I need to know <laughs> about the movie. The trailer for it looks incredibly fun. And it looks like it's just going to be the chillest movie of the year. It doesn't, I don't know. I don't know anything else about the plot. I'm not sure they've released much in the way of details. It just seems to be a guy who hangs out on a beach and talks to people. And uh, honestly, that seems like a really good use of Matthew McConaughey's uh, skill set. Mm. It's about time that Matthew McConaughey kind of uh, rolled it back to, you know, early 2000s naked bongo playing Matthew McConaughey. He's, mm -hmm. he's been, now he's got his Oscar and, you know, all the acclaim. He needs to kind of uh, maybe kind of end the McConaissance and start doing kind of um, shoddy romantic comedies with Kate Hudson. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. I would not <laughs> be in any way intrigued by this film by the cast, by the premise. It's just Harmony Corinne. I love Spring Breakers. I think it's such an incredible film. I find it, of course, immensely hard to watch now because bloody James Franco. But mm. yeah, we'll we'll see. Like you say, maybe it could be um, a new addition to that kind of like, could it be as actually genuinely as moving and madcap as The Big Lebowski or a bit more meditative and atmospheric like Inherent Vice. I don't know. I think there's a, there's still a lot of mileage in the um, stoner genre, shall we say, if uh, Kareen is putting his hand to it. But I'm, I'm in it for him. Genuinely in it for him. Mm. Yeah, I, th I thought Spring Breakers was really fantastic and considering all he's done in the intervening years is like some shorts and some music videos it'd be really interesting to see if he's going to continue in that vein or if he's going to be like as insufferable as he was before Spring Breakers. <laughs> um, he's got some good movies before. And, but like Spring Breakers was just the one that I was like, oh, right, I get why people like Harmony Corinne now. And uh, yeah. I, I would like to like one of his movies again. <laughs>
That brings us to April. Emily, what's your April movie? My April movie is Under the Silver Lake, which mm. got a really, it got a really sort of mishmashed uh, reception from festivals and things. And it looks like it's been, um, it was pushed back a little bit, for, I think, from when it was originally going to be released. But this is the uh, third film from David Robert Mitchell, who uh, directed one of my favourite films, as I've gone on about at, at length previously, um, It Follows, uh, which I think mm. is one of the most incredible films that encapsulates uh just the millennial experience and of course it happens to be a horror film funny that and this again um we were talking about serenity and i think sexy neo-noir is probably my favorite uh genre of film ever don't know how sexy this is uh, it's definitely a neo-noir it's got that kind of sunshine noir uh feeling because it's set in la in and around silver lake um popular Jiji borough um and i don't know in in terms of yeah it's it's exactly that kind of mystery noir of like kind of getting yourself wrapped in on on something that maybe you shouldn't the morality of it I think Andrew Garfield is just absolutely incredible like he's so watchable so even though I've heard various um reports of it being like oh you know it's kind of rambling or stumbly I don't know I, I think I'm I think I'm into it but then maybe he inhabits the same world as uh, Matthew McConaughey's Beach Bum now that would be a crossover episode <laughs> I would love mm. to see Mm, yeah, to to call back to call back to inherent vice, which you mentioned earlier, it kind of feels from what I've read about it and from the trailer, kind of like a pinchony idea, like the idea of someone looking for someone by trying to decipher clues that may may or may or may not be real clues, mm. and just kind of like seeing signs everywhere and trying to decipher them, and that that level of paranoia and the paranoia possibly being vindicated feels like a very pinch on idea and yeah. i'm really excited to see someone try to take that kind of idea and literalize it to take it out of the page of kind of avant-garde literature and say hey maybe we can try and make this a movie and yeah i, I like andrew garfield a great deal i loved it follows uh, I'm and I'm always drawn to movies that get such a divided response. And this one, I've read some people who thought it was terrible. I've read some people who were absolutely loved it. And yeah, any time a movie gets that sort of response, I, I'm excited to see which side I end up falling on. Matt, what's your April movie? My April movie is a film that was actually made last year, which is dragging its bloody heels <laughs> getting to the uh, cinemas. It's uh, Claire Denis' first. English language movie called mm. High Life, um, which and I will catch you all in the in awe of the the strapline for this and the the premise. It stars Robert Pattinson and Juliette Binoche and mm -hmm. focuses on a group of criminals who are tricked into believing they will be freed if they participate in a mission to travel on a spaceship towards a black hole to find an alternate energy source whilst being sexually experimented on by the scientists on board. Mm -hmm. I mean, could you imagine that? I yes. certainly can't. I have that regularly. <laughs> We've Sorry. all been there. <laughs> but yes, it, uh, it premiered at Toronto last year, got excellent reviews, and is still not out. <laughs> so I've got no idea what's happening with it. It also stars Andre 3000 of The Outcast. Um, nice. And, you know, I'm just desperate to see this film from the premise and the talent involved, having recently become during my 52 films by women uh, jaunt, a big fan of Miss Denis. 
Mm. Yeah, I love Claire Denis as well. And I'm, I've always excited for her to try something new. And I mean, this is new on several levels. Obviously, she's she's not made an English language movie before. And I don't, I mean, she, she made a horror movie, but she's never made uh, a, a sci-fi movie or something that seems to be on this scale before. And just everything that I've heard about it makes it sound like it's going to be absolutely fantastic. My April movie now... April sees the release, I think, of a superhero movie that is really going to be... It's, it's kind of the culmination of something that the company behind it have been building towards for years. Uh, and it is, of course, Shazam, the latest in the DC movies that uh, have somehow managed to string together a couple of hit movies in a row now, uh, despite their best efforts. And I'm quite excited for this one because it just looks so completely out of step with everything they've done up until now. And it seems that after trying to be grim and serious for the first couple of movies that were made in the DC Extended Universe, they have realised that that was a terrible mistake and they of course corrected in the most extreme way possible first with Aquaman, which was like a goofy space opera that happened to take place under the sea. And now something that just seems like a, a big slapstick comedy starring uh, Zachary Levi and the trailers for it have been pretty fun. It looks just like such a big change of pace for what they've been doing with those movies. And it's also directed by David Sandberg, who previously directed a couple of really good horror movies, Lights Out and Annabelle Creation. So it's got good people involved. It looks fairly funny and I'm just really excited for this what appears to be a free-for-all era at Warner Brothers and DC where they've just been like yeah what we were trying to do was a complete fucking dud I'm gonna just we're just gonna let the creators do what they want to do it, well it's it's about time that they realize that because you, you know the films that they have been making have been deeply deeply awful mm. um and you know when You've got Christopher Nolan making grim, serious superhero movies. That's one thing. Um, and when you're trying to do that with David Ayer and Zack Snyder, you're going to be found out at the top level, to use a footballing parlance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they seem to have kind of taken a note from some of Marvel's goofier excursions into the superhero genre. you Guardians of the Galaxy and whatnot. Uh, you your Thor Ragnaroks and your, your... What's the other one that's funny? your Ant-Mans, mm-hmm. and, you know, lighten it up a little bit. I hear Aquaman, I've not seen it. It's got Octopus, plays the drums. There you go. Good start. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe that's what they need. I mean, I'm not interested. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Zachary Levy, I mean, he's, he's you know, the lead. He's Flynn Rider in Tangled, my favourite Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's not enough. That's not enough for me. Um, I, would have to, I would have to be dragged to see this, Ed. Uh, but I will see it if you're telling me I have to. Uh, well, well, we'll see how it turns out. If it ends up being uh, the worst movie of the year and we have to do our uh, mm. our tontine of watching each other's worst movies every year, then uh, then maybe you will have to. Uh, mm. If it ends up just being a good fun time, then uh, <laughs> you, know, you don't have to watch it. Okay, cool. I don't want to do anything that will give you enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, what's your May movie? My May movie is... Was there any doubt? Pokemon Detective Pikachu. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> of course it is. Because I love that little yellow guy. Look, we've spoken about uh, this uh, trailer reaction and I'm still really gutted that it's Ryan Reynolds doing the voice. But 
I'm, I'm all in for the rest of it. I really am. And I think a lot of people will be holding on all hope for me, as it seems from uh, how the internet broke basically when that trailer dropped. I wonder if, I still haven't seen um, Into the Spider-Verse and I really, really want to. And I wonder if that's actually done more in terms of being a really wonderful, surprising film about sort of like representation and, and everything going together. But yeah, I'm hoping that this will be a good fun time, even if it is Ryan Reynolds again. Hmm. He's just everywhere, isn't he, Ryan Reynolds at the moment? Yeah. It's just the ubiquitousness of it. I'm like, there are there are other other actors are available, um, particularly to play a gorgeous little yellow and black striped electric rat uh, with a mm. with a with a great hat on. Yeah, I, I, but then again, you know, maybe when May rolls around, I will have succeeded in being less cynical. Um, I just mm. want I just want some unbridled glee. Is that so bad to to mix against my schmaddened flumpedness? of 2018 <laughs> is that too much to ask i do seem to be having an existential crisis sorry guys <laughs> mm. and what better to shake you out of said existential crisis uh as a little yellow little electric rat thing uh, or or plunge me even deeper into it it's 50 50 yeah 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 a lot riding on to take a pikachu for all of us <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah i mean i'm still confused by it i'll i'll be there, you guys will be loving it or hating it, and I'll just be like, huh, what? I mean, I'm going to see it. Um, I will go and see it, because all my friends want to go and see it, and I don't want to seem like unpopular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to go along. I, you know, I'm just happy that people want to hang around with me at any time. So I, <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. So I, I may as well just go along and kind of laugh and go, yeah, that was that was really funny, and then just like go to the toilet and cry. I honestly didn't think that Detective Pikachu was going to be the film where we started sharing all of our deepest, darkest <laughs> personal <laughs> secrets. Yeah, I mean, generally, if you need to know anything about me, is I'm normally my my kind of default mode is I'm just happy to be there. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm generally just kind of just you know I'm kind of there for a good time, um, and I'm not thinking too much about it. So if there's if I have to see some very brightly coloured things on the screen that I don't understand, then I'm all for it. And that just sounds like Ryan Reynolds pitching himself for the job. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what is your main movie? I'm going to pick Ad Astra, um, mm. which is not a great title, but should be a marvellous movie. It's directed by uh, James Gray, who mm. knows what he's doing. Uh, generally yep. makes a lot of good films that no one fucking watches. Um, apart from, I the French love him, don't they? Um, yes. But like, American audiences are fairly cool on his films um, um film twitter seems to lose their shit every time he does something but yeah it's a cerebral sci-fi we've had quite a lot of that over the last half decade haven't we mm. um but it's uh, starring brad pitt and tommy lee jones uh, ruth negger and donald sutherland um and they are engineers who are going no brad pitt's uh tommy lee jones's son i believe yeah um who went to pluto or neptune or something on a long journey and brad pitt's got to go and find him but now obviously it'll be a lot better than i've made it sound um <laughs> because i'm not james gray that's his job i just kind of uh you know make silly jokes about these things but he's always good value the cast is great the i'm kind of tired of, of the cerebral sci-fi thing but if anyone's going to make me a bit, bit more interested in it it's claire denis and james gray mm-hmm. mm. yeah i'm i'm very excited for this i think i haven't seen the lost city of zed 
or The Lost City of Z, depending on your time zone. But uh, I've loved every one of his movies that I've seen. I think he is someone who is incredibly ambitious. He makes some of the most gorgeous-looking movies out there, and the the idea of him getting to play in, you know, kind of something a bit bigger, mm-hmm. a bigger sandbox that, that space and sci-fi offer you, and to play with a moderately large budget. I think it only cost like fifty million, which is quite low by most kind of sci-fi epic standards but certainly seems uh like a good amount for him to play with and yeah i just i just really like the idea of brad pitt and tommy lee jones as father and son that seems uh like pretty good casting mm. probably tommy lee jones's first excursion into space since space cowboys mm. Mm. yes yeah uh they, they never got him off that moon <laughs> i remember i remember how space cowboys ended <laughs> i'm you're the one who saw it fair play yes that movie made over a hundred million dollars in the US. It was very successful. <laughs> I mean, I, I can, I understand that less than I do Detective Peter Gucci, or whatever it's called. <laughs> it's all right. We've got until May to get you up to speed on Pokemon. <laughs> finally, Matt, I'm determined. Oh. And have I got to watch Space Cowboys as well? Yes. Is that yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair. You will do as you're told, because <laughs> you're mm. just happy you have... to be here. <laughs> <laughs> The Pokemon mythos is very elaborate, but it's mainly about James Garner getting a medical exam. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I saw Space Cowboys (laughs) in the (laughs) theatre. Weirdly, this follows on to my my May movie. It's Rocket Man. (laughs) The uh, Elton John biopic directed by Dexter Fletcher. The second movie he has directed in the past year to feature the movie of the 70s and British pop stars, uh, including some of the same characters, although he didn't do what I hoped he would do and cast some of the same actors so you could get a out-of-sight Jackie Brown thing going on. But the uh, the trailer for this looks really, really cool. It looks like it's playing into a more fantastical uh, aspect than just kind of a, a rote biopic you know it is called ba- it, the, the tagline is like based on a true fantasy and you have things like when he's playing rocket man for presumably the first time in front of an audience everyone starts floating away uh, which is kind of a cool effect and it, it looks like he's trying to do something other than just be like oh here's taron egerton Uh, looking like Elton John this is him just performing these songs in front of people here's how he wrote this one song or something it looks like it's trying to get across the sense of what it was like for Elton John during that time and that to me it sounds way more interesting than uh, than anything else and uh, I also quite like Dexter Fletcher as a director he's kind of like an interesting guy who's made some pretty fun movies so far and this seems like it could be really interesting. And I'm, as, as someone who likes mu- uh, music biopics that take some risks, you know, so, uh, I'm a big fan of um, 24-hour party people, which this doesn't look like it's kind of in the same area in terms of boldness or whatever, but certainly like uh, films like that that basically say, we're not going to just kind of play the hits. We're going to try and recreate the feeling of a time and of a person's life and work. Uh, to me, is always going to be at the very least interesting and and a reason to go and check it out. Mm, I think the the pairing of Dexter Fletcher and Taron Egerton um, in Eddie the Eagle um, mm-hmm. that was really really fun. Uh, that was yeah. a film that really took me by surprise um, because I only know Taron Egerton from Kingsman, uh, mm. which is not something I'd want to be remembered for. 
Um, but uh, yeah, that you know, they've both got a lot of heart, and that film's super likable. If it steers away from being the bland, this person looks a bit like that other famous person. Let's remember this stuff. Um, mm. If it steers away from that, then I'm into it um, because the other stuff. I mean, I could go my entire life without watching another biopic. Um, yeah. yeah, I fucking hate. I fucking hate him. But um, if you do something interesting with it, I will watch it. Plus, Taron Edgerton plus big glasses. That's a hit. That's why Robin <laughs> Hood was useless because he didn't have like fantastic eyewear. That's the yes. only thing that was wrong with that film. <laughs> mm. Just, just a quick like show of hands. Um, does did anyone know anyone who saw that Robin Hood film? Uh, no. Well, I sort of a friend of mine worked on post production, but I don't think that counts. Hmm. So really, the only people who saw it are people who worked on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's not. And, good. and critics. Yeah. And, yeah, the critics definitely saw it. The heroes that are also Rocket Man has a lovely Jamie Bell to give mm. him his full name. Uh, so I'm excited uh. to see uh, he's playing Bernie Taupin, which which looks quite exciting. So. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I've kind of had my fill of Elton John since uh, the um, the John Lewis Christmas ad. Uh, mm. <laughs> but yeah, come on. Uh, based on a true fantasy. All right, I'm in. What is your June movie, Emily? Well, uh, kind of sticking with uh, both the Tommy Lee Jones and space theme, June is Men in Black uh, International. Mm. Uh, because it has um, possibly one of the most charismatic and attractive casts ever. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm going to go with with being honest about how shallow I am. I, I mean, <laughs> Emma Thompson and Tessa Thompson flirting with each other. That's my kind of Thompson twins. And <laughs> it, because, because it has just, you know, and, and it's got a good Hemsworth in it. Of course, Larry Hemsworth wasn't available, clearly. Um, I, uh, but I loved the first Men in Black film so much. I think, I think it does mm. stand up really well. And I think it, it looks refreshed. It looks rebooted. It looks like there is a lot of new blood in it. And I think it'll be interesting to see what a major American film that is essentially about aliens. <laughs> Might be some interesting messages. And everyone let's get in suits and mm. yeah, go on then. Uh, my my only concern about Men in Black International because as soon as I heard the cast I was on board straight away. Yeah. yeah. Is um from the trailer um it it kind of doesn't really seem very funny. Mm. Um and like the thing is the Men in Black, the original one, it works so well. Yeah, like it's yeah. a it's a really good movie, and if, and and um, it nails the tone perfectly. Now, F uh, F Gary Gray is directing this one, I believe. Yeah. Is that right? So That's you right. know, you know, the action's going to be legit, and yeah. you know, the big sequences are going to be great. I just wonder whether he can get the best out of that cast, and on the basis of the trailer, which you should never uh, go on. Um, I it didn't really get that spark that I got from the first one. I I kind of feel like maybe these early trailers are just trying to lay the groundwork of saying, okay, we're continuing this franchise. That it seems to be taking place in the same world as the original. Like it's it seems based on one line that Tessa Thompson has in the trailer where she talks about, you know, 
someone disappearing 20 years ago that she has some connection to maybe to Will Smith's character that but he's probably not going to be in it but they are really just trying to set the table and it's all about world building and reintroducing the Men in Black franchise for people who both watched the original movies and liked them or the first one at least the second one of course is is dreadful and the third one is okay Mm. but also uh, for people who aren't familiar with it because it's a franchise that's kind of been dormant for a few years and even when they did bring it back in 2012 for the third one it was you know it had been 10 years since the second one so it, this this maybe they're not going too heavy on the comedy stuff at the moment because they feel like okay we need to reintroduce people to this idea that you know they're this secret organization that keep track of and fight aliens on earth when necessary uh, and then later ones will maybe hype up the comedy more that that would be my hope because uh yeah i think the first one's a tr- one of the best blockbusters of the 90s it's really exciting it's really funny i watched it a lot as a kid um when we had it on vhs and i would really hope that this one is is good as well and kind of takes the franchise forward matt what is your june movie ah my june movie is one i'm really super looking forward to uh, none of this half-assed business that I've been checking out earlier. Um, it's the new Studio Leica movie. Um, mm. They are making a film called Missing Link, which is, I believe, about a kind of a Bigfoot-type creature um, yeah. that lives uh, in a forest, probably. If you haven't seen any um, Studio Leica movies, they are a um, stop-motion animation studio who have got a pretty much flawless record. Um, they did uh, Paranorman, they did Coraline, they did Kubo and the Two Strings. I'm missing mm. one, aren't I? Box Trolls, that's the other yep. one. But yeah, it's it, it, they are a consistently excellent studio who do quite unusual things with interesting material. Um, and when I heard the premise, and it was one of those instances when you see a studio involved, you're like, yes, I'm in. Don't even need to know anything about it, don't need to watch the trailer, you've got my money. Um, and yeah, I, uh, out of all of their films, Paranorman, I think is my favorite, um, mm. like a really amazing film about being bullied and also ghosts. And, um, I kind of think that they will continue this flawless record with this one. Uh, it looks like it could be a lot of fun. Yes. I saw the trailer for this a few weeks ago and I thought it looks really, really funny. I'm really glad that Leica are making another movie because a couple of years ago, there were rumours, maybe around about the release of uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, that maybe the studio was being shuttered because they didn't seem to have any projects in active development. But uh, that, that obviously isn't the case because they've got a new movie out and it does look really, really fun. And I'm really glad that they can continue to do what they've been doing, which is taking a form of animation that is uh, somewhat out of fashion because it just takes so fucking long to do <laughs> and mm. there's really only like a handful of uh, filmmakers and companies that are interested in it at this point and delivering movies on a really big scale that use this this form of animation that otherwise uh, would have disappeared or at the least would be confined to hobbyists and people making kind of animations in film school or for YouTube which is where uh, a lot of people certainly I um experimented with stop motion animation and things like that when i was younger so Mm. uh, i'm always excited to see something from Leica. my june movie uh was originally going to be toy story 4 but i think we've talked about it in the past and yeah it's just 
It could be good, could be bad, who knows, could be a massive mistake, we'll find out. So instead, my Dune movie is going to be a movie that um, I can't really believe exists. Uh, I don't understand why uh, anyone has decided that what we really need is a new Shaft movie in 2019. But it's happening, it's directed by Tim Story, stars Jesse Usher as John Shaft Jr., the son of Samuel Jackson's Shaft from the movie from the year 2000 and the great nephew of Richard Roundtree, the original Shaft. And all three of them are in this movie. It sounds crazy. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that they are uh, father and son, Jesse Usher and Samuel Jackson, because I thought initially that it was just conti- going to be nephews all the way down. And mm. like every every 15 or 20 years, we just get another Shaft nephew. But no, they're father and son. Um, but I'm just... I'm just really baffled by the fact that this movie exists and that intrigues me um, because I think there is potential for something, for a Shaft movie to be uh, really, really good and well-made and to maybe have some sort of contemporary relevance if if Tim Story wants to go that way. Uh, his past work suggests that maybe he doesn't, but uh, I'm still I'm still intrigued by it. And it's certainly the movie of the of this year that to me has the greatest possibility to surprise because it just seems like such a a, a baffling idea that there's a lot of upside for it. Mm. I feel like it would... Shaft is something that would kind of be good if it got the kind of 21 Jump Street style treatment. Mm. And the thing is, in much the same... Do you you remember that interview with like Daniel Craig that came out around... I don't don't know, it was like Skyfall maybe, and he was like, you do not realise just how much Austin Powers fucked us making Bond yeah. movies. Oh. I feel like even like if you are trying to do anything with the black exploitation genre, Black Dynamite has ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like cuz even if you're trying to make it funny like deliberately, Black Dynamite has ruined it. If you're trying to make it legit good, then it's ruined it. So you kind of I you know, they're backed into a corner. Tim Story doesn't have a great record. Uh, no. <laughs> Fantastic 4. Uh, and the second Fantastic Four and the Barbershop movies, did he do those? Uh, yes, I believe so. And the Think Like a Man movies, I think, were his more recent hits. Okay, yeah. Um, so, you know, he's commercially successful. Um, but yeah, I did see this one when I was looking for the list of stuff coming up and I was like, really? Like, I mean, even when the the Shaft remake with Samuel L. Jackson came out, I was like, mm, really? <laughs> Are they going to mm-hmm. do something interesting with it? And they just didn't. Yeah, so... Uh, like I say, I'm I'm kind of just I'm I'm more confused by it than anything else. But uh, like may, maybe the stars will align and it'll be a, a really interesting end product. Um, this is my this is my um, my one where I'm really hedging my bets, <laughs> mm. as you were doing earlier. It's like could hey you never know could surprise. But if it's bad, I can say well yeah I said you know there was a possibility. Yeah. Called it. <laughs> I'm afraid my yeah. problem is that, um, and and this might be a bit too specific for some, but for me, um, I just hear Shaft and all I think of is the um, short-lived game show presented by Robert Kilroy Silk, <laughs> Cher, yeah. Cher or, or Shaft. Shaft. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, yeah. So that's my incredibly helpful comment on, uh, <laughs> on that. It would be up. amazing if the... Other, they had like an old racist UKIP nephew played by Robert Gilroy Silk. Because <laughs> <laughs> he did join UKIP, didn't he? I think. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. was their first like big 
like vocal supporter, if I remember mm. correctly. Like the first time I remember hearing the name UKIP was mm. because he had joined it and everyone I was just kind of like, what? Why are you just outing yourself as a massive racist? That seems like a, mm. a bad choice for your career. Um, but then apparently being a massive racist really helps your career mm. in a lot of avenues of life, as we've discovered over the last sort of two or three years. I think that like if, if Robert Kilroy Silk, if anything, is boiled down the tenets of conservatism, share or shaft. <laughs> That is really it. That is, we were, it was, it was obvious the whole time. Yeah. Emily, what's your July movie? My July movie is uh, 17 Bridges, which mm. is a film that's produced by the um, incredibly, uh, ridiculously successful Russo brothers, um, mm-hmm. directed by um, a uh, Northern Irish director called Brian Kirk. It stars Chadwick Boseman, Hoff Hoff which is the new portmanteau I've just created, (laughs) which saves time instead of saying hot off. I mean, I have to invest in explaining that it's a portmanteau, but we've got it now. So add it, schmadden, flum, hot. So Chadwick Boseman, hoff, Black Panther. (laughs) And the... There's very little about it just now. Um, It's it's action. um, It's your... I mean, it sounds quite classic as a premise. Disgraced NYPD detective um, thrust into a citywide manhunt for a cop killer is given a shot at redemption. And I do love shots at redemption. Mm. What can I say? It's got a really interesting cast because alongside uh, Chadwick, there is everyone's um, favourite psychopathic drumming tutor and demanding paper editor, J.K. Simmons. (laughs) Also, Sienna Miller. Hello, Sienna. Haven't seen oh, you yeah. for a while. Please, please join. I, I think she's so underrated and, and, and never really seems to be given uh, a good crack at something. So um, it's exciting to see her around. Um, Stefan James as well from your favourite Matt Homecoming. Mm. Um, yeah, he's great. Yeah. So I'm just I'm like, OK, again, not many details. But then you look at something like Destroyer, which, of course, we all know I can't wait to see. And that has, a mm. you know, a pretty straightforward sounding premise but with nicole kidman and karen kasama and some incredible performances yeah i don't know so i'm i'm um yeah 17 bridges you say hmm it seems quite a specific number as well so i'm intrigued on various levels it's a it, like it sounds great it's got a very stupid title mm. um but like, it, be, it better be of deep metaphor that's all i'm saying yeah i mean we're in the year of stupid titles aren't we what have we had thus far so we've had velvet buzzsaw Ad Astra, <laughs> 17 Bridges. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not necessarily saying I could come up with better. But that's entirely what I'm saying. Come on. Mm. We, can, we can do better than this. Yeah. The, the worst title for me, just because it's so lazy, is uh, The Angry Birds Movie 2. <laughs> <laughs> just because then it's not The Angry Birds Movie, is it? Mm. If there's a second one, then, you know, it just it's just... Something about that title is just so profoundly lazy and also grammatically weird <laughs> that I can't. I I I just I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to give it a fair shake. Um, is um, Sean Penn coming back for Angry Birds too? Was he in the first one? He was. Wow, that distinct voice mm. that you want to hear in the ears of your children. Um, <laughs> and he's certainly been it... uh, angry to birds in his time, has he not? Hmm. I'm mainly excited to find out how the alt-right try and embrace this one. 
<laughs> because I remember that was a big part of the discussion of the first one was them trying to say it was red pilling children, and everyone was just like, "Is this them? Is this something they seriously believe, or is this just them trolling?" And it's very hard to tell. But uh, it seemed to be earnestly believing that children would watch it and you'd get a, a, a new generation of fascists. Um, I mean, we'll have to wait another 12 years or so to really see if that's borne through. But yeah, that's that's the only thing about the Angry Birds movie too that I'm really excited to see is uh, how certain corners of the internet really try and embrace it. We're going to get some demented video essays out of it. Hmm. Matt, what's your, uh, what's your July movie? Oh, I'm going to pick uh, Spider-Man 2. Mm. Uh, or Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, yep. As I mentioned earlier, I like Tom Holland. I like what he did with Spider-Man. And Spider-Man is quite in, given that Spider-Man movie that came out a couple of weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. that kind of made everyone feel like they've been wasting their time because they just fucking nailed it. Yeah. Um, um, and, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Jake Gyllenhaal is the uh, the baddie. Apparently, I don't really know anything about um, what character is you know playing probably someone in a silly hat does something like ridiculous yep i can tell you exactly who he is and he's the he's the villain that has the silliest hat of all of the spider-man videos he's playing mysterio so if you want to if you want to google mysterio uh he's a man who does magic and has kind of a fishbowl for a head (laughs) love that i imagine they'll probably come up with a cooler look for him (laughs) but Mm. his look in the comics is very very funny yeah um, although I think that I would like the Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, if it was just uh, essentially Robert Downey Jr. trying to um, kind of like kind of being amorous with Marissa Tomei, who is just stringently rejecting his advances, and I would mm. <laughs> I just watch those two like and the interplay um, and Tom Holland's uh, squirm with embarrassment uh, for like two hours, I'd say, and then yeah. then Nick Fury turns up at the end and something else happens. Yeah, I'd be on board with that. Mm. I'm also excited for it. I liked Homecoming quite a bit. I think Tom Holland's a terrific uh, Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And uh, I, as as silly as Mysterio is as a character, I'm excited to see what they do with him within the kind of like the slightly more realistic Marvel Universe, because obviously the Vulture as well is a very, very silly character. Mm-hmm. And I thought that what they did with him in the first movie and what Michael Keaton did with that performance was really interesting and really grounded it. Uh, and I think there's a lot of potential to have something really cool uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal. And also it's it's a weird full circle film with Jake Gyllenhaal because there was a time when people thought he was going to replace Toby Maguire yeah. as Peter Parker back in the mid-2000s when Toby Maguire fucked up his back on Seabiscuit and everyone was like, oh yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal was going to take over from him. So they got him eventually. Yeah, yeah they got their man. But now he's going to play someone who sounds like a reject from um, Job's Malish, uh, Magician's Alliance from Arrested Development, who <laughs> is upset that people aren't taking his close-up magic seriously. So he has to become mm. a uh, uh, a kind of weird supervillain. But no, I'm into it. <laughs> oh, that just made me feel so nostalgic. I was very tense during that time with the um, speculation of Hall becoming a, a Spider-Man. Because I loved Tobey Maguire, and I was also in love with mm-hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal, and you know, it really, it really tore me apart trying to support both my boys. So you got through it, though. You pulled through. I don't know. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Tobey Maguire, did you read the story that apparently they wanted him to play one of the Spider Men in Into the Spider Verse? I, I think I, they, I think they wanted him to play the one that Chris Pine ended up playing. 
Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Spider-Man, so as Spider-Man. Like a, yeah. So it was like a, just kind of like a connection to the existing universe as, as it had previously been. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of torn on that. On the one hand, I think that would have been a real nice touch because they already kind of have him placed clearly as being the Spider-Man that we all know because they have him restaging scenes from the previous movies. But um, I think Chris, Pry- Chris Pine does such a good job with that voice. Mm. And he has so much, so much fun doing like the Christmas song and everything over the end <laughs> credits. Uh, I'm not, not not really sure if uh, Tobey Maguire would have been able to bring quite so much um, existential dread slash zest to mm. performing a new version of Jingle Bells. I mean, we all saw Spider Man three and that dance routine, so that's plenty. Mm. <laughs> My July movie is. The latest movie by Quentin Tarantino called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which uh, has been endlessly teased for like the last two years as everyone in Hollywood has apparently been casting it at various points. And, uh, you know, I think Tarantino is um, hit or miss uh, for me a lot of the time. Are often within the same movie. Um, like there can be some stuff that I think are great, and then he shows up as an Australian man. I'm like, this was a mistake. But <laughs> so, so who knows how this one is going to turn out? But uh, it's you know set in Hollywood in the 1960s. It touches on stuff to do with the Manson family, which I'm uh, just endlessly fascinated with, and uh, particularly that that era. You know that that kind of cusp, um, or as uh, Huntress Thompson talks about, you know, the wave breaking, the end of the 60s, the end of this period of excitement and kind of innocence or whatever you want to call it. And I'm just really excited by the cast that he's assembled for it. Like I say, it is basically everyone. And I, I'm just really always very excited to see what he has to do, because even if I think that he's his work can veer wildly in quality, uh, sometimes from scene to scene, it is always... It's always exciting when he has a new movie out. And so uh, I, I'm really, I, I find the whole idea of him really delving into this time period, which he's clearly uh, hugely interested in and fetishizes in a massive way. Uh, I'm really excited to see him dig into, uh, d- dive deep into it. Mm. And like you say, everyone is in it, um, but he's working with a lot of people he hasn't worked with before, like Al Pacino, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then also people he has worked with before to great effect, like Brad Pitt and, and Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, yeah. I am like always in two minds about Tarantino because, like you say, he is uh, a little inconsistent sometimes. But then you know when he hits, he really hits. But also at one point, you know, in the recent past, he signed off on those Winston Wolf insurance adverts, um, <laughs> which. Every time people talk about him as being some kind of genius, like you realize that he must have done that because they use the character name and everything. So, eh, I'm not sure. Like, this seems like him trying to. Is he going out with this one? Is he retiring again? I think this would be, if he is sticking to his 10 movie limit, I think this would be his penultimate one. Okay, right. So, I mean, it seems like a good way to go out. There's a lot going on. He could, you know, define an age with a movie and, like, say, the, the Manson family stuff makes a like a really fascinating backdrop to uh any story set in that kind of time frame and um yeah could be great probably be excellent in parts mm. yeah 
Uh, I also find it quite funny that he's cast a guy called Damon Herriman as Charles Manson, who is also playing Charles Manson in Mindhunter. Ah. Uh, the next season of Mindhunter. <laughs> so Ooh. like, you got to you gotta, uh, give it up to someone who's really hammered their niche in like that. Mm. It's like there's that like there's a, a group of actors who always play Hitler. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know um, it's good that he's got his niche. Um, and it just reminds me, I fucking can't wait for Mindhunter. I love that show. Yeah, yeah. So it should be it should be really interesting at the very least. Uh, although the the think pieces, I'm not ready for the think pieces. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're now we're into August. Emily, what's your August movie? The Kitchen, uh, which is. Um... Andrea Berloff, um, I believe her directorial debut. Um, she's been um, a, a writer for some time. Um, Straight Out of Compton, for example, is uh, I think one of the projects, um, biggest projects that she's worked on uh, to date. And I mean, the premise just sounds great. Like the wives of uh, New York gangsters in Hell's Kitchen in the seventies. Again, like I mentioned, fucking brilliant decade. Am I right, Rizby? Um, mm. Continue to operate their husbands' rackets after they're locked up in prison. And to me. I this just sounds like what I think I want Widows to be. I still haven't watched Widows. Everyone I've uh, know who's watched it really enjoyed it. But to me, this is kind of like the strand of uh, traffic uh, with Catherine Zeta-Jones um, taking up the mantle of uh, the drugs business uh, after her drug baron husband is is put away. She assumes the barony herself. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of uh, Tiffany Haddish, um, Elizabeth Moss, uh, walking uh, press uh, shots just now, walking around in um, pretty amazing boots and uh, 70s skirts. So sartorially, I'm already in. It looks quite comfortable and practical, but still pretty chic. Uh, we've also got uh, Donald Gleason and Melissa McCarthy. I think it looks to be probably comedy drama, I hope. I just and everyone's favourite character actress and um small time uh, crook, Margot Martindale. Um <laughs> it's it's just it does look a bit like my sort of catnip, really. Um and I also really appreciate that, you know, if, if a woman's place is uh, back in the kitchen then this is the kind of kitchen that I will happily be told to be sent back to. Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that other than that Widows is very good. <laughs> And people should see it. It didn't get the fair shake that it uh, deserved. Mm. Uh, Matt, what's your August movie? Ah, well, I'm going to call an audible and remove what I had before. And I'm going to go with Playmobil, the movie. (gasps) Because if it worked for Lego, it will work for Playmobil. I mean, it's got Jim Gaffigan in it, uh, plus Daniel Radcliffe and Megan Trainor. Um, So what could possibly go wrong? Uh, I mean, Mm. I don't think it's got anywhere near the talent involved that Lego Movie had, um, which, again, was a terrible idea, but was pulled out of the bag by, you know, talented people. Um, This, I'm not entirely sure, will hit the same heights, but I just am kind of happy it exists. The people who make Playmobil, when the the Lego Movie came out, were like, finally, it's our chance. (laughs) And then the same people who make stickle bricks and Duplo were uh, <laughs> were the same. Um, but I mean, I feel like when the Lego Movie was announced, everyone was like, "Okay, we've hit a new low. We mm-hmm. have we have got, we have got a film based on building blocks." But no, this is the new low, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean that cast is a, a who's who of what. Um, <laughs> that's the only way to describe it, I think. Mm. But yeah, like this was one that I 
stumbled across when I was looking through like the release schedule that just I just I just can't I can understand the commercial logic behind it which you've laid out which is oh Lego movie made a lot of money Lego movie Lego Batman movie slight, made slightly less move money and uh Lego Ninjago movie made hardly any money mm. so like after the first movie clearly this was commissioned uh and they've kind of they're they're kind of they're locked in on it now it's like, well, shit, we've put all this money into it and clearly this was like a, at most, two-movie idea. But we have decided that we have to go through a bit with Playmobil, the probably like fourth or fifth most popular child block brand. <laughs> yeah, that uh, is accurate. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I think, the, I just hope it's successful enough to get us a Meccano movie. That's all I can say. Mm, could you imagine... Or a, a film based on those little polystyrene planes you could buy in a long, like a long placket with, with a little uh, plastic nose cone that goes on. It flies, mm. like, or a paper planes movie. We get MIA do the soundtrack. It'd be brilliant. You need to keep this yeah. offline, Matt. This is going to get stolen. You need to patent this, copyright it, lock it down. Mm. Yeah, mail this podcast to yourself. To yourself. <laughs> Whenever, when I was like becoming interested in making films and like writing scripts and stuff, I was obsessed with the idea of mailing scripts to myself. <laughs> I was like, I was like fucking anyone cares. Jesus Christ. And I think I actually did do it once um, mm-hmm. and then immediately punched myself in the face for being ridiculous. <laughs> My August movie is uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is an adaptation of a kind of very um certainly in the states kind of legendary uh scary book for kids which is most renowned for its illustrations which have given whole generations of kids nightmares it's produced by Guillermo del Toro he of the thousand uh, producing credits uh and directed by Andre Ouvredal who previously directed the movie Troll Hunter and also a movie from like 2004 or something called Future Murder, mm. which I just like because that's just such a great <laughs> generic title. It's probably um, the working title for Minority Report. <laughs> yeah, uh, you would hope. Mm. And I'm just, I'm just very excited about it because uh, although I haven't read the book, I have seen a lot of the illustrations because it's it's a book that for some reason gets referenced a lot on like comedy podcasts and film podcasts. It seems to particularly Americans seem to have been very influenced by it. So whenever people mention it, I always kind of like Google the images they're talking about and they're very creepy and atmospheric. And if they can get across even a 10th of the eeriness of the book oh. and the images from it and kind of transfer that into, uh, into the medium of film, I think it could be, really very cool and and uh you know i'm i'm always excited for whatever guillermo del toro does uh whether he's directing writing or producing he always seems to uh bring a lot of passion to everything that he does and this is one of those projects that he's been kind of mulling over for a fairly long time so i'm i'm really excited to see it finally come to fruition mm. yeah um i think del toro is one of them people who's got a lot of like long gestating product like projects mm. um and you know i only kind of keep coming back to the idea that he's so successful now like why is no why is he not doing them do you know what i mean like was it in the mountains of madness is that the one that was, that was his big one yeah yeah and like you know he's just won best director and like best picture or whatever at the the oscar surely you can just say Where's my money? If someone can pay Peter Jackson to make King Kong, which I rewatched the other day, that's a not good movie. You know, then surely someone can help Del Toro out. Yeah, I guess it's just 
the idea that it's, it would require so much money to make that kind of big R-rated horror, uh, horror sci-fi that mm. it's kind of a difficult, it's kind of a difficult sell. But yeah, like you say, like his position has changed a lot now, and it, and also the you know you could point to something like it, you know, which opened to whatever 120 million or whatever when it came out, and that was an R-rated horror movie, and that did blockbuster numbers. So maybe with the right, uh, you know, with just the right effective creepy trailer, they could really get people excited to see uh, The Mountains of Madness. Could certainly but, get me excited. Just... Apparently that's all I need is a well-edited trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, so that's our preview for the first eight months of the year. And we'll come back and do another preview sort of at the end to kind of uh, check in to see how it's gone, to see if our picks ended up being... Uh, better or worse than uh, or than even released because we had mm-hmm. that three-year run where we previewed monuments men every year and it never got released <laughs> yes and, until it uh, finally did and it was rubbish yes so uh we have a great track record at picking winners we're going to give you a preview of that preview now was as matt will run through some of the movies coming out towards the end of the year that we are uh excited for and excited to talk about in more detail come september when hopefully we'll have more information on them yeah and, Including release dates, because there's a lot of movies that uh, mm. we don't know when they're coming out because they haven't played festivals yet, or they're Netflix movies, and Netflix don't release release dates for their movies until like a month before they come out. Or the day before it appears in your queue. Um, yeah. yeah. So this is, uh, like Ed said, a, a list of some stuff that either comes out towards the end of the year, or stuff that is coming out and we didn't really have time to mention it in any detail, or we don't know when it's coming out. Some of these will be really borderline. They might sneak into 2019. They might be held over. But brace yourselves, because here they come. <laughs> but first, before before I do run them down, it's probably we should talk about the elephant in the room, which is the fact that Disney are taking over the world, and mm-hmm. the next year they are releasing a preposterous 11 films, yeah. um, which include uh, Dumbo, Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, Aladdin, in Toy Story 4, Spider-Man 2, Lion King, Episode 9, and Frozen 2, in addition to launching Disney+, Plus, their own streaming service. So, you know, we will do an episode in the future about Disney and the fact that they bought Sony, which is not a good thing. It is mm. not cool, man. No. And, like, like the movies has had Monopoly problems before, and, like, this is not good, and we will do a whole episode about that. I'm, I would like to. I'm announcing it now before we even agreed to it. Um, um, because um, it's yeah, it's just it's just not on, and yeah, it, whilst it's cool to see some of this stuff, like what it means deep down is is not awesome. But anyway, so the following is films that we didn't get time to talk about. I will race through them now, and here they come. We're getting an Adams Family remake with Oscar Isaac and Charlie Theron. Imagine that. Mm. We're getting the aforementioned It sequel with uh, the kids played by grown-up people. We're getting a film called The Gemini Man with uh, Ang Lee and uh, Ang Lee directs Will Smith. Uh, They're probably having a competition about who needs a hit more desperately. We're getting that Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix and Robert De Niro. I don't know who ordered that. Uh, We're getting a Downton Abbey movie. Of course we are. Zombieland 2. We're getting a Shaun the Sheep sequel called Farmageddon. I like the pun. (laughs) Um, We are getting um, an adaptation of the documentary, it seems, of A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood about uh, Mr Rogers. Uh, Although in Britain it's called You Can Be My Friend, which sounds 
awful. No one's going to see that. We're getting the really weird Sonic the Hedgehog movie where he's got big legs. It's freaking me out. I don't like it. <laughs> We're getting Ryan Johnson's uh, murder mystery called Knives Out that he just appears to you know knock out between Star Wars movies. That's got a great cast. Daniel Craig leads it. Who gets murdered? Who knows? We've got a Cats film coming out with Tom Hooper directing it. That's going to be fucking terrible. Can you imagine? <laughs> We've got Little Women. Is that the Greta Gerwig one? Yep. Wicked. That's going to be awesome. I can imagine that'll be amazing. <laughs> Hot on the heels of the Playmobil movie, we've got the Lego movie too. Uh, we've got um, Alita Battle Angel, a weird-looking sci-fi film that's been in the like production for ages. James Cameron's made it. Probably be rubbish. Robert Rodriguez is directing it. It'll definitely be rubbish. We've got How to Train Your Dragon 3. I like those movies. Come at me. Toothless has a girlfriend. <laughs> I respect his privacy personally, but like, you know, I, you know, I'll watch it. I'm into it. Uh, Hellboy, we're rebooting that because why not? Um, the Goldfinch, the Donna Tart novels getting a fucking adaptation with a cast to die for. Sarah Paulson, Nicole Kidman, Ansel Eagle, Luke Wilson, uh, Jeffrey Wright. That'll be good. Uh, that's an award. Mm. That's awards fodder right there. John Wick 3. He's still angry about that dog. Get over it, mate. We've got Dark Phoenix, so the X-Men movie. We've got another X-Men movie, The New Mutants. Who cares? The shit. Uh, Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and Furious um, spin-off. Great. Artemis Fowl, directed by Ken Branagh, who is also doing Death on the Nile, which might sneak into this year. Uh, he does the Poirot thing. I watched the other one the other day. It's quite fun, but ultimately disposable. We also have a couple of British films that sound great. The Nest, which is directed by Sean Durkin, who did... Uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene which is awesome mm. and his new movie with Jude Law and Carrie Coon what a cast The Day Shall Come the new Chris Morris movie my old friend Chris Morris where was the phone call Chris I am available um, we've got Greed Michael Winterbottom's making his 150th film also starring uh, Steve Coogan uh, it's a parody of capitalism or something sounds good I'm in they're making a Charlie's Angels film with Kristen Stewart and Lupita Nyong'o and it's been directed by Elizabeth Banks that snuck on up on us they're making Terminator 6 uh, the guy who made Deadpool is making that we've got Top Gun 2 how can we not mention Top Gun 2 not entirely sure um, how that snuck in um, and last but not least a film that I scarcely believe exists that none of us have heard of It's they're rebooting Doctor Doolittle with Robert Downey Jr and the cast of the animals includes Rami Malek, Tom Holland Rafe Fiennes, John Cena, Emma Thompson Marion Cotillard, Michael Sheen Antonio Banderas Jim Broadbent and Ralph Innocen and Octavia Spencer. That is happening. That is something that they have actually done and we can't stop them. <laughs> so Try the night. <laughs> that is my roundup of the rest of the year. Uh, I, I just wanted to uh, say about the uh, Murder on the Orient Express movie. I was thinking about that earlier today, the Kenneth Branagh one, and how that has a much better score than it necessarily deserves because if you listen to the score to that in isolation there's tremendous energy to it and then when you watch it it's got this like really kind of like pounding drums and these really exciting strings and it's Kenneth Branagh kind of slowly strolling around Jerusalem mm. and you're kind of like this doesn't quite match the image that I'm seeing but it's a very good score mm. yeah so I feel like we're clued up now we know everything that's going to happen in 2019 <laughs> yeah that was exhausting just to listen to. <laughs> Imagine how it's going to be to watch all of them. Ugh. Yeah. Is any of the ones that I mentioned stick out as being, like, like worthy of, of more mention other than Sonic's legs? I mean, the legs are very distracting. Big legs. Um, but both because, <laughs> both because 
they just look i mean obviously we've only seen them in silhouette so we no one knows how terrifying they are when you see them in the harsh light of day but (laughs) the thing about them that i find really weird is like they're just so antithetical to the character because the Mm. whole thing about sonic is that he's kind of just a lazy guy who likes to eat chili dogs he's not meant to be someone who's buff he's like fast despite his habits so the idea that he's like hench is uh deeply distressing to me and uh as such i'm gonna boycott it mm. or, or see it opening night it can really go one of two ways mm. yeah i'll be i wonder if like tails will make it into the sequel you just know that the post credit scene is going to be either tails being created or like knuckles punching his way through a wall like those mm. are the two like they're, they're going to try and introduce like the second or third part of the law that everyone knows <laughs> Because it's mm. Sonic runs fast, Doctor Robotnik slash Eggman, Tails, Knuckles, maybe Big the Cat if you're really pushing it. I don't know who's playing Doctor Robotnik, but there's very Jim little Carey. difference. But, oh, is it? Oh, yes. I was gonna say there's very little difference between the character of Doctor Robotnik and the character of Bronson as played by Tom Hardy. Oh, now, now there's a role. <laughs> now, could you imagine if you could just replace the voice of Doctor Robotnik with <laughs> lines from? Bronson is like Sonic's like hey I'm gonna release these animals and he's like butter my ass I'll give you fucking magic in there <laughs> yeah yeah and what was Dr. Robotnik's thing he was like capturing animals wasn't he what was he doing with them animals putting them in the robots and kind of <laughs> oh. using their life energy to power them <sighs> it's messed up <laughs> it's messed up <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it was teaching us, it was teaching a, a whole generation of 90s kids. Only 90s kids will remember to distrust corporations. Mm, yeah. Led by a madman who thought, Do you know what I need to kind of overthrow humanity? Squirrels. Let's get a <laughs> bunch of squirrels and like put them in mech suits. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the show. It's obviously already quite long, so we're just going to skip recommends and we'll uh, have some stuff to recommend for you next week if you've enjoyed this episode then please subscribe to us on stitcher player fm itunes spotify all the usual places we're also trying to get on acast uh, that's hopefully going to come through in the next week or so um but we'll we'll kind of tweet about that if and when it happens you can also follow us on facebook and twitter where we are at srs underscore podcast we'll be back next week with something entirely different but until then it's goodbye from me and goodbye from me goodbye from me and half the podcast i'm off to bed <laughs> Ha 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 ha!